0: My definition of success is embracing like the hustling grind for whatever it is your goal is. Welcome to the Dr. Mudgill podcast, guys. I couldn't be more excited to have Dan Shachner here, who's the referee for the Puppy Bowl on Animal Planet and... um, the last time I saw Dan, I mean, he looks exactly the same. Was in 1992. Dan was a year ahead of me in high school. Yeah. The 1992 man, God, what is that like 20? I've lost count. Seven years ago or something like that. High yeah.
1: school seems distant, fond memory, yes. but a distant memory. yes,
0: man. But it's awesome to see you, man. And like I said, you look exactly the same. And the way this kind of all went down is, um, Dan being the celebrity that he is, you know, I follow him on Instagram and. It's just so wild. Like, the Dan you are now yeah. is... Not that you're different than the Dan you were then. I didn't, actually really didn't know you well in high school. But it's just amazing to see, like, the stuff that you're doing. And it's, just, it's awesome to see people that you kind of know... Yeah. Like, going on this crazy trajectory, like, doing all these amazing things. And I, I sent Dan a DM just sort of randomly, you know, mm-hmm. not really, honestly, even expecting a response. uh, Just, like, telling you how, how much I admire the stuff that you're doing and, like, you're totally crushing it. And uh, you were gracious enough to... To, to to put us on on your radar and uh, you know come out here to Long Island to to spend this morning with us oh, so no. I really thank you for that
1: it's my pleasure and it goes right back the other way because you know you, you might think of me as this but in, in the world of uh, not to be funny but in the world of dermatology and skincare and it, you're a celebrity to me so That's I mean incredible. and I have been following you because I've noticed your podcast I've noticed you've had very interesting and varied uh, interview subjects you know you you wide wide range of people. And so when you reached out, I was like, this would be perfect. Not just because of our history, but because this is something I'd want to sit and talk about. You asked me to think about what it means to be successful. And, um, you know, when I do publicity for Animal Planet and I'm promoting this show, I often have very rigid talking points. So the able to, to be able to sit back and just talk about stuff, yeah, a little breezier, a little calmer, a little more relaxed, it's a treat. Thank you. Hey, man, that's awesome. And
0: you're right. So, you know, the, really the sort of... Vibe of this podcast is we're gonna hear all about Animal Planet, and all the things that you're doing, and mm-hmm. you know you're doing all this amazing stuff with like you know uh, puppy adoption, mm-hmm. and you know you're a real advocate for for dogs and I'm I'm sure, sure. you know all animals. Mm-hmm. Um, but sort of the underlying theme, sort of backing all this, is like what really defines success to an individual, and it's such a varied thing, you know. But yes. ultimately, it all kind of I I'm learning as as I talk to more and more people about this. It essentially boils down to like the same sort of elements, just sort of phrased in different ways and packaged in different ways. Hmm. But the one thing I did ask you, uh, the only one thing I asked you before we sat down was just to, just think about for you personally, what defines the word success? Yeah. And uh, before we kind of get into your history and, all, and, and what, what's gotten you to the level of success that, you're, you know, that you have today,
1: what to you, what does success mean, man? So you gave me that homework assignment last night, and I loved it. I was like, perfect, perfect. And I had the whole car ride to think about it, but I didn't have to think about it. We touched upon it uh, before the camera started rolling. It's authenticity, and it is an overused word. It can sound corny sometimes, but the reality that I've come to after 20-plus years of doing this is that I started out on the production side. So I started out trying to make television or make content, and I was pretty successful in that, and I worked in a variety of companies and networks, and then somehow I got pushed over to the other side. I didn't get pushed over to the other side because I necessarily wanted it. I was literally fired from MTV and Viacom 18 years ago. They were just like, nope, your heart's not in this. Your heart is actually on the other side. Someone had to push me kicking and screaming from it because they saw the true side of me or you know, some true right. side of me that I wasn't quite capable of seeing. I got to that point. And from there, I thought, well, maybe they mean acting. So I tried that out for years and years and I had some success in that. And I worked for HGTV and SNY, the sports network, and I got, you know, uh, speaking roles on Blue Bloods and CSIs and all that kind of stuff, excuse me. But again, it wasn't hitting, it didn't feel real. It didn't feel uh, like I was in a groove and I could really relax. It wasn't until the last couple of years where this job with Animal Planet has merged with my real life that I've started to realize, oh, I get it. If I don't try so hard, if I just act as myself, as Dan Shackner, people are actually more interested in that. And I have more to say, and I feel like I'm more engaged with the people who do follow or watch or are fans. And um, it's worked. And knock on wood, it's gonna continue this way because um, I don't see any other path out of it. So to to answer your question, long-winded way of saying, to me, success is being as authentic as you can and and still being able to put food on the table and and feed your family and survive in New York City, which yeah. we're all trying to do right now.
0: Yeah, I think that's so well said, man. You know, some, one of the things that I say to like other like sort of like young doctors. I mean, not that I'm an old doctor, but <laughs> um, being a doctor now, like in being in my own practice for like ten years, yeah. compared to when I first started. Like when you first start, it's kind of like, okay. This is like what a doctor is supposed to be. Like I'm still myself, but it's not like I'm not like really myself, you know. And it sometimes it takes like having kids. Going through like shit in your life yeah. where things don't work out and like yeah. you know things. I'm a big believer in things working out for the best. It's kind of like what you were telling me in your story. Like MTV is like, all right, man, maybe this isn't a good fit. And it was probably like God, like this uh, felt like know. the worst thing in the world. Right, like like you know, just like <clears> the <throat> floor dropped from underneath yep. you. But somehow that made you kind of grind into, you know, being more comfortable with yourself. Yeah. and Now, like when I see patients and when I do what I do as, as you know my profession, I it's I'm me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm just. Literally, this is who you're gonna see when you see a patient. You know, I'm gonna bullshit with you about your life. Gonna be real about all the medical stuff, of course. But I feel comfortable enough in my own shoes that it enables me to just be me and be a better doctor. Yeah. And it sounds like that's really what has driven you to the degree of success that you've had. Just like, hey, man, I'm Dan. Mm-hmm. I love the hugs and like this is me. Like who you see on camera is me. Who you see on trivia stuff is me. You know, who you see on Good Morning America, the Today Show, and all the other right. stuff that you're on. It's literally. You're sitting when right work in front of me. When work
1: doesn't feel like work. Yeah. When work just feels like you living your life, it's a pretty good place to be in. Now, some people do that and, and don't earn. Like, I'm still a very practical guy. You and I both grew up like high-performing kids in high school. Yeah. You know, we went to good colleges. We had expectations, I'm sure, set by our immigrant parents. Right. But I, um, I, I, so I always had that in my head of like, well, yeah, you can still be, have fun and do what you love, all those uh, platitudes. But you got to earn. You got to yeah. earn, you got to be successful. It might take you some years to get there. So, the, the fact that I've been able to balance the two, I, I feel like I'm kind of getting away with murder yeah. here, right? Like, you know, like I'm sure you do too on some Tell level. You're living yeah. a little bit of a dream, and you, with your positivity, and me too, in my own way, I have a brand of positivity that I'm putting out there. It's in the world of dogs because I think we can all agree, like in this crazy political atmosphere, like dogs are the one thing we can all kind of agree, or at least the pet world or the animal world or whatever, whatever you, uh, uh, happiness you want to assign an animal we can all agree that's something we can get behind we can support and um much like disney much like anything right. positive and sunny it's hard to be polarized in that world it's it's a it's a nice space to live in um so yeah i mean i'm trying to do good i'm trying to uh be true to myself and i'm trying to you know be good role model for my kids as i'm sure you are too yeah you know with dogs
0: it's uh it's pure love man you know so it's like this literally this like just it's pure love like you know, I lost a dog a couple of years ago. It was probably like one of the hardest things you have to go through because you just love your dog. You don't feel bad about your dog. You know, yeah. so it's, it is like pure positive yeah. energy, man. You and know? it's simple.
1: And and yeah. you could be five years old. You could be 95 it's years old. It's the same old. thing, man. Yeah. I say it not to, this is the only Animal Planet talking point I'm going <laughs> to do. And then I'll done. I promise. No more commercials. Um, but I do say this a lot, but because it, it resonates because it's true. People say, oh, I don't know if I could choose between the Puppy Bowl and the Super Bowl. And I'm like, dude, you don't have to choose. You could watch us at three and the other big game at six. But the point is, even if you hate the Pats or you hate whatever teams are playing in the Super yeah. Bowl this year, um, you have no interest. You can all – everyone in the family can agree that, like, even if you're looking at it just to laugh at it, that the Puppy Bowl is something kind of warm and fuzzy and brings people together. Right. And, um, a- again, like, I have – the media that I've done in, in, uh, prior to Puppy Bowl has been – almost like leading up to this moment. Um, I, 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 prior to Puppy Bowl, I was sports trivia guy on SNY. I'm Dan Schachner. And I am Amber Wilson. And we're hosting Beer Money on SNY. And now I do dog trivia, you know, and I love it. Um, it. You know, prior to this, I was a HGTV host and I hosted a home improvement show. This time we're going for a Cinderella story, but this Victorian needs more than magic. Well guess what that 's another very sunny space to live in. you know We all love remodeling homes, and there 's no politics involved there you know it 's all good but in the world of animals, it kind of puts it all together and wraps it around the family circle, which has same with you become very important to me now i 'm in my 40s, and you know I want to be a good role model, not just to my kids but to my community. I coach baseball i 'm very involved with the community, so I want to continue to put that message out there. And then on the practical level because i'm not going to forget the earning stuff we talked about earlier the success success part uh charity-based marketing or they call it cause marketing or profit with a purpose it the idea is that like if you can put your brand or your product out there but still be doing some good in your outer community or inner community um that engages people more and resonates with people more and i have found that kind of by stepping into it, like someone would step into dog poo. I have not been looking for it, I just, one day I woke up, I was like, oh, it's all hitting. This is, what, this is what's gonna work, and I don't even have to try. I could just continue to do what I do, continue to reach out, and you said it in an earlier podcast, the more positivity you put out there, the more you're gonna get back, whether you want to or not, right. you're just gonna get it flowing back, so um, yeah.
0: Yeah, man, I'm a, I'm a big believer in all that, man. I, was, I love the vibe, man. Um, I'm going to touch on just a couple of things that you mentioned. Uh, One is, you know, we grew up on the South Shore of Long Island, Mm -hmm. which is, we were just chatting about this before we started the podcast, which is like a very, as did the members of the media Ah. market, they're South Shore guys. Excellent. Um, You know, it's a very... It's it's a sort of a wild community because it's it's really diverse yeah. in the sense of it's socioeconomically diverse yep. you know so there's like you know the nice houses in Oceanside on the water and then there's like you know the house, like the neighborhood I grew up in yeah, on same. like the, the wrong side of Ripple Center <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. where it's like you know just a regular old neighborhood same and, here, you know yeah. it's very blue collar and you know a lot of times you you're right like I do wake up sometimes and I'm like holy shit like this is crazy like this life that I have um, and there is that sort of economic drive, yeah. you know, to, to earn because, you know, we didn't grow up with a ton of shit, you know, like I didn't, when I would go to someone's house and they had Haagen-Dazs, I was like, oh man, I was like, yo, <laughs> luxury, this is, these people are rich, man. They got yeah. Haagen-Dazs ice cream up in here, you know, just like little things like that. And, and I, you know, I'll never take that for granted, yeah. you know, but that's really what informs my hustle a lot, yes, you know, same. um, you mentioned that your your parents are immigrants mm-hmm. I, you know you're a difficult person to
1: place right people think I'm Jewish, right people think uh, well, yeah, they don't know what to think. But most people just think I'm a nice Jewish boy from Long Island. And even though I'm a nice boy from Long Island, I'm not fully Jewish. My dad's dad was Jewish, came from Germany. But they moved down to South America in the 30s to escape the Holocaust. Like many uh, uh, German Jews moved to the States or elsewhere. Argentina? Yeah, Argentina and Uruguay. So um, my dad met my mom down there, and my mom is just from there. So I grew up speaking Spanish. But, you know, man, we can get into this a little bit, but like— as, as diverse as the South Shore is, growing up there in the 70s and 80s, wasn't as diverse as it is now. It's not ethnically diverse. <laughs> I Correct. Like, yeah, I was like the only Indian kid in my, you know, yeah. in my elementary school. Correct. Yeah. And when I was growing up, there was maybe one other kid who spoke Spanish or Perfect. grew up speaking Spanish. In and it was in ESL, probably. Probably, yeah. yeah. So a little bit separated, right? So I had this drive, and you know this is a common theme right, with kids of immigrants, to almost shed away the skin of the immigrant and just adapt to your society. And or your current culture at the moment. And so I would find myself, I remember one time, my dad worked at South Nassau Communities Hospital, which is a local hospital that, you know, that, close to where we grew up. And he was the head of the housekeeping department, right? He was in charge of all the porters and all the maintenance guys and, all, and uh, cleaning guys and all that. And I was really proud of my dad growing up. You know, I'd go visit him in the hospital and he was like the head honcho and everyone said hello and good morning, sir, and everything, and you'd give me tours. He took me to go see the morgue, you know? Like I was like getting the backstage behind the curtain. I felt very cool growing up and going to the, And I love, to this day, love hospitals, not in a morbid sense, but I enjoy like the excitement of a hospital. And um. But I remember one time in high school it hit hard because somebody made a joke about my dad uh, pushing, like, the, you know, the, uh, the vacuum cleaner. Uh, you know, I said something like, oh, yeah, I saw your dad. He was pushing a vacuum cleaner uh, along the carpet cleaning up the room. And I took it really personally. Like, I was like, no, 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 my father's a – but at the same time, what's it – may I curse? I don't yeah, know. Yeah. What, what's the big fucking deal? <laughs> what would it matter if he was pushing the broom or if he was in charge of the guy pushing the broom? But I clearly grew up with some insecurity about it. So I think that did fuel my my need and they always put it on us to, you know, do better than us, do better than us, to improve my lot in life. But again, it wasn't until later on in life that I was able to truly love and appreciate and cherish what I'd already been given and how hard it had been for them, right? so, um I'm not even sure what the original question was <laughs> no, but it's
0: so fa- interesting that you say that because it was a very similar similar sort of deal with me or a similar sort of story, but probably even like i was I was like more sort of lost in um in terms of like what my identity actually was like I didn't really have any Indian friends until like you know like Puneet and Nahum, yeah, those guys, yeah. like, who I met in like middle school yeah but I, but like I still always thought of myself as like a white. Yeah, Jewish or Italian kid from the South Shore of Long Island. That's right. You know, and it really. And someone said something to me, like you know, I remember I was just having a conversation with some buddies, and I was like, yeah, and I said something about like being white, mm-hmm. and 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 my friend said to me, he's like, dude, like, <laughs> you're not white. Right. I was like, holy shit, like you know, it's just like you're just become such a huge. Yeah. Your environment really just kind of makes who you are as a person. So I'm this like kid from the South Shore of Long Island, but it took me until like later on in life to be like like embrace that like you know, I'm an Indian kid and mm-hmm. I'm a minority and mm-hmm. you know like and it's a, it's an interesting thing when you have kids and you know like you, you're kind of like having grown up the way we grew up and yeah. you know knowing that. Your, your environment can really sort of, you know, it molds who you are, mm-hmm. but you still have a unique identity in this mm-hmm. environment, you know, and really kind of to foster that and say, hey, it's OK. You know, like that's what makes this place so amazing is that we're all different, you know, 100 percent. And things have really changed from like the 80s until oh, yeah. now in terms of just with social media and just how much awareness there is and how much smaller the world has become. Yeah. But yeah, man, it is it is pretty wild, man. When
1: I was applying, applying to colleges, I remember we can all check off the ethnicity, and I was checking off the Hispanic Spanish, and my mother would go back and erase it and tell me to, no, you check off white. Even though, because she's like, our race is, you know, we come from South America, but our race is still white, and I don't want you getting any artificial, and it's not artificial. Certainly, there's right. a lot to be said for that, you know, but... She felt like that would almost be cheating in her mind. So to your point about feeling white or feeling like you were yeah. part of, you didn't have any ethnicity, that was my mother. Wow. My mother was the one who wanted to be 100% assimilated, not, almost disregard, you know. She meant well. I, I, this, I love my mother. You know, she's passed, but I, I, she meant all she wanted was the best for us. But I can remember her making me go back with white out and uncheck the Hispanic part on the wow. college apps and just change it to white. I guess she wanted my accomplishments yeah. to be to not be. I don't know. I, she didn't want
0: you to get a leg up, I guess, quote unquote, a leg up. Uh, uh, it sounds like.
1: You but know. but it was interesting, man. Yeah, in her mind, it was getting a leg up, but she didn't quite realize that the Hispanic check might have given me even more of a leg right, up. Right. Uh, I don't know, man. But yeah, yeah knows, man? it's complicated. Kids of immigrants are always a complicated right. theme. Um, And then you know it becomes more complicated as you marry i married a woman who is just straight up american you know from boston italian irish and like so my kids are being raised you know as american as they can come they're mutts uh like most of us will all eventually be and our kids will all eventually be right so uh i'm i'm good with it but it is important to me to look back on that heritage and look back where i'm from and now when i do go back and visit my dad on long island i make sure my kids go to that hospital and I do, I know it's, but you know, the hospital just got a remodel a couple of years yeah. ago and I make them walk the lobby. And I'm like, this is where your grandfather worked and this was his office and this is this. Cause I do want them to know, you know, everything possible about their, we're going to go to South America next year and I'm going to finally be able to show them, you know, where, where their grandparents came from. So awesome, it's right? a process, man, because you know, kids kids have their own opinions. Yeah, of course, especially <laughs> the older they get. Um. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I was actually a candy striper at South Nassau. Right yeah, on, yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, so yeah I remember the them very well. On. As was I. I as yeah. I was, I, I loved, uh, I loved every minute of it. There's a lot of um, acceptance that had to go on in my 20s and 30s, and then by the time I reached, as I say, my 40s, I started to not only become comfortable with it, but embrace it, and then almost encourage it. Like, hey, listen, wherever you where are you really from, and what are you really? What did your parents want from you? You know, that's a question I would turn to you. Like, did your parents, similar to mine, did they? I am sure they wanted you to do better than them. But in their minds, were they from day one thinking doctor, or did they have other thoughts?
0: I had no choice. So my mom, I grew up in a single parent household. Yeah. My mom and dad got divorced when I was very little, yeah. uh, which I talk about a little bit in my podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot of what I'm do- mm-hmm. the reason what really uh, motivates me to do all this stuff that I'm doing now, like mm-hmm. the podcast and the social media stuff. It's like to leave a legacy like for yeah. my kids. Like, hey, listen. Like you know, your dad was like you know, like this is who your grandmother was, and this is where I grew up, and this is kind of who I'm about. Mm-hmm. So maybe like you know, when I'm not on the planet anymore, they can look back and say, oh, I, you know, my dad did some pretty cool shit, you yeah. know, like and he was, and you know, like he had a lot of interests, and you know, he really wanted to help people. Hundred percent. Yeah. So, so for me, um, I had no choice. So my mom being a single parent, she worked for the VA hospital, was a government doctor.
1: Right. She
0: was a colonel in the Army Reserves. Oh, wow. um, she was like a real hardworking woman. But for her, being a doctor was her salvation. She was able to raise two boys on her own. Mm-hmm. My brother's also a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, there was literally zero choice. Like, well, since I was five years old, like, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a doctor. Of course, I tried to rebel from that. But, you know, ultimately, you know, my brother, when he was in college, wanted to go to law school. Mm-hmm. My mom said, no problem, you can go to law school, but you have to go to medical school first. Wow. You know, so, and, and In many ways, I can't imagine doing anything else. And I'm this is, like, the job for me. Like, I love it. And, like, you know, it's really, like, in my blood, like mm-hmm. literally figuratively. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know why my mom did that. You know, she's her whole thing was, you know, you guys need to be able to stand on your, on your two feet yeah, and provide for a family and, you know, take care of a family the way that she did for us. And for her being a doctor is what enabled her to do that. Mm-hmm. There was job security and you know, all that stuff. Again, we had a very modest upbringing. It's not like, you know, the banger doctor that you think right, of, like Driving right, right. around and like the Benzos and all that stuff. Right, right, around. right. Um, but it was, you know, we had a good life. You know, yeah. she was able to provide for us as a single, with a single income, Yeah. you know? So, yeah, yeah no, I, we had <laughs> I had no choice, man.
1: You can imagine what my parents thought in, in my 20s when I was like, I think I'm gonna try acting for a while. Yeah. They're like, are you nuts? But what I always had was the production side of it. I always knew I had a second degree in TV production, and I always told them, listen, if I can't be on TV, I'll be making TV, and, or content, or film, or whatever it was at that point. Um, It took them a while to come around, but... um. Again, just to go back to the stuff we talked about, being authentic, being able to earn the definitions of success. I had my definition of success, and since we keep going back to our parents, I think that might be an underlying theme here. Yeah. Um, I think my definition of success was maybe even shaped by my parents. So uh, that's how they saw success. And I knew, I mean, I remember getting my first residuals from acting. You know, you do commercials and you wind up getting these pretty hefty residuals. And while that's very intoxicating and exciting, it's fleeting. Uh this stuff, you know, comes and goes. And unless you're on a, you know, 10-year campaign, uh, it's it's not consistent, right? But I remember getting those first few residual checks and bringing them to my mother and being like, see, mom, you can make money in this industry. You you can do really well. And she would start to soften up and soften up and soften up. And as I got more campaigns and I hosted shows and et cetera, she really softened up. And I knew I had really, quote unquote, made it when, I don't know, I think I was 30 Four, I don't know, maybe just had a first kid. But it's taken a while. My mom, I overheard her telling somebody what I did for a living. And, and that was the first time in my entire life yeah. I heard my parents like, my dad is pretty easygoing, but my mother, you know, who was the tougher one, to, to be able to speak with pride about her son. And I thought that was, you know, that was, that's winning, man. Yeah. So another definition of success. To, to
0: this day, my mom will never give me like any kind of compliment or like be like, "Oh, you've, I'm so proud of you," you know. But yeah. I know because I hear from other people that you know right. she's talking about my back. You Same. Know? Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting that you say that with the residual checks. Um I mean, this is kind of like a little bit of a tangent, but in one of I was a guest on a podcast not that long ago, and um, we were just kind of you know just bullshitting about a bunch of stuff, and it's that when you like when you don't come from a lot mm-hmm. and you start like having some money in your pocket, Mm. like, I mean, I literally went nuts, you know, because I was like, holy shit, like, I can do all these things, and I, you know, I literally bought all these fancy cars, and, you know, went crazy, and I was like, oh, man, this is it, man, I made it, I can buy a fucking Ferrari, whatever it is, and, you know, and then, like, you realize the emptiness of that, you know, that's, like, cool for the first, like, couple of months, like, oh, this is amazing, man, you know, I can have all this stuff, it's great. And then, like, slowly – did you ever read the book Connected to Goodness by David Meltzer? No, but I will. It's a cool book. So, basically, he talks about like sort of the different stages of success. And this mm. is a stage called the Arriver stage, mm. which is, like, when you have money in your pocket and you're basically like blowing money on stupid shit. Yeah, And then, yeah, like, yeah. you realize, like, the emptiness of that. And a lot of folks, that's where they die. Like, in the Arriver stage, it's like, you know, you're always sort of chasing this material stuff. But it didn't take very long for me to be in that stage and to see, like, things kind of, like, not – things in my office or whatever it may be like not operating the exact way i wanted them Mm -hmm. and i realized it's because my personal investment in my brand and in what i want to give my patients started like you know like i just wasn't as present you know and like that's very it was a very fleeting period in my life when i was like you know this sucks like this is not what i'm about like this is what i'm about Mm -hmm. like you know sort of hustling and like just doing stuff that's stimulating to me and like you know helping people and you know just throwing that positivity back into the world right Mm so you know but I had to go through that stage to realize, oh, you know, this stuff is really bullshit. You know, at the end of the day, this is what counts, you know, like putting this out there like maybe help someone to hear this and say, oh, man, that's kind of like how I grew up and, you know, wow, yeah. I could really be on TV or, you know. Like or whatever, Pursue yeah. my dream or, you know, be exactly. a baseball player or whatever, you exactly. know, sports commentator, whatever it is, you know. What does
1: he say the next step is after that landing, when people die in that landing page? There's like, a, well,
0: there's like, you know, I forget the exact terms or that he uses, yeah. but there's basically like, either like you kind of, you're in the arrival stage then you kind of like descend down <laughs> into like bankruptcy. Okay, like, yeah, just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, having like a really kind of, which shallow existence i've had friends where that happened for sure or you realize that that's like okay this is like whatever you know like this is not what life is about I and mean, then you kind of like transcend beyond that into you know sort of a more i would hate to say it, like spiritual really isn't the right world but yeah enlightened is a yeah. great word yeah so it's sort of an enlightened space yeah. where like you know so i still love nice stuff of course but it's not that's not what defines me you know? the best
1: advice i got on this whole world, and I, it applies, I believe, to any profession, um, if if it involves being, you know, a true pro. It, it, it was from an older actor when I first started, and he said, listen, I was doing a radio commercial with him. He was playing like an older professor. I was playing the student, whatever. It was something, so like sprint or something, and he, he afterwards he turns to me, and he says, oh, yeah, you're good, you're good, you enjoying this? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, let me give you some advice. And uh, he said, in this profession, you don't just have bad days and bad weeks. You have bad years. But if you can get past those bad years, if you can work through the bad years and accept the bad years as just part of the ebb and flow, you'll get to the good quicker than you realize. And I've never I have applied that thinking to marriage. I've applied that thing into raising kids. I've applied that thing into almost every aspect of my life. Just accept, yep, this is the this is the tough stage. Maybe you hit that arriving uh, what did you call it? The arrival the stage. stage. Maybe you hit it okay you live in it work through it not sink down don't let yourself don't let yourself get so down about that place that you're you said chasing that next don't chase it maybe it's a slope maybe it's a slow period for you or maybe this is the time you're meant to recharge but whatever it is work through it get to the next because you'll get there faster and um that's informed a lot of my success
0: yeah, that's great that's
1: that's great advice, man. I mean, bad wow. years, bad years. Yeah, because yeah. when we're young, we don't think bad years, True. right? When we're out of college. We're like, eh, bad week, bad day. Oh, today was a bad day. We say that a lot. Today yeah. was a bad day. Well, guess what? It might be a bad fucking year. Yeah. So just accept it's a bad year. It's a low year. No problem. Doesn't mean you're low. Yeah. It means the you know. All right. Next year will be better or whatever. And then uh, the other thing I hear a lot is track record. Like anytime I have any doubts, which again, knock on wood, uh, I've been I've been pretty successful, but. Uh, and I say that with no ego. I say that with full gratitude. But when I do have a low period, I think to myself, um, it was an old college professor who told me this. It's was like, well, look at your track record. What's your track record say? Because the longer we're in this, the more bigger track record we have and the more data we have, right? I oh, I'm right, I'm 44, I've been doing this. I graduated, yeah, I had an extra year of college. 18 years, because I was producing for about five, four, four to six years. 18 years of this. So of those 18 years. And, and then, wait, stop yourself before you even try to analyze how much income you made. You've had 18 years of this profession. And in the world of acting, where 2% of the people make a living, we're not all Tom Hanks, right? We're, we're somewhere in between Tom Hanks and, and unemployed. But, you know, when it's 2% are actively—and these are the stats from this, this uh, union— um, Two percent of them are actively making enough money to pay for health insurance. You have to make a certain threshold or whatever, and thankfully, I've always made that threshold right to make my to make my cut. Eighteen years, so that's yeah. that's. It's just these little reminders that you give yourself from time to time. And again, I've been fortunate enough to have great agents, have great publicists, have a great family, have a network um, that supported me. But ultimately, man, what's going to make me succeed in this, push it to retirement or even past if I wish. Is being able to be myself, not having to act. Right, man. You know?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, we're grinding through those tough times, man. And that really is. And like you said, your track record shows you that you can. Like, you know, like you, know, you don't get 18 years of acting by not right. grinding through some shitty times. I mean, that's just that's not going to happen in yeah. any field. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, dude, just to bring this kind of back to like, sure. I was just, you know, just reading a little bit about you, you know, because obviously, you know, I wanted to. Be educated about you before we did the podcast one of the things that really struck to me was when you got this gig at animal planet yeah. it was literally like you just put a video yeah your tiny and together. it was a
1: tiny gig man it was like nine years ago this was not blown up the way it is but you're, using, right like, now. But you're is right now. like
0: sisters dogs and you're kind of like dog yes, parks and that's like, exactly
1: know. right yeah man i it was just like any other job i had just finished so uh the world of hosting and broadcasting i had transitioned transitioned into that I worked for HGTV for 3 years on a show called Curb Appeal. This was around 2004 to 2007. Then I did a sports trivia show on SNY called Beer Money where I went into bars I and remember offered that people, show, yeah
0: that yeah, Cause I'm a Mets fans. So. Oh yeah, there you
1: go. So I wish I wish that one was still going on cuz it was such a treat, but they, you know, they did away with that show. And then um, I was in limbo for like a year or two and just doing commercials and voiceovers and The other one. Okay. Tina the nanny calls your daughter says it's octopus time. And uh, whatever came my way, and fine, but definitely in a little bit of a limbo. And then this job came up, and I was like, okay. So did you
0: see it on, like, some kind of, like— Agent. No, my agent. Okay, you're like, okay.
1: Yeah, like 90% of my stuff or more comes from the agent. Again, if you're in in the union, which I am, there are certain rules you have to kind of— you have to only do union stuff or stuff that's sanctioned by the union. And usually an agent is involved in that process. They can at least bring you the— the, the job, even though you're doing it, they got to collect their 10% somehow or gotta justify. Check. So they their, okay. their way to justify it is to look, oh, I'm bringing this opportunity. You wouldn't have gotten elsewhere. And that is true. And to this day, okay. it's still it's still a, a fact. with. So AD. they
0: said, hey, there's this thing on Animal Planet. I think it's a good fit for you. Yeah,
1: okay. try it out. This helped vault the puppy bowl from just a great game to a great fan experience from start to finish. They're like, okay, did I make a video about it? They know it was all, it was all, yeah, well, yes and no. It was all told to me over the phone. Like, well, number one, they think you're too, yep. Not even being cute. They either thought I was too young or too old. I don't remember which. I swear to God. Mm-hmm. So at the time, I was like mid-30s. I don't know if they... Probably they thought I was too old. So they were like they said, when you go in for the interview, dress young, whatever the fuck that means. I was yeah. like, sure, okay. I dress like myself, which is yeah. maybe sloppier than what you see now, but myself. You a sweatshirt on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I went, and I remember uh, they were like, well, we need some video. You seem great. We need some video. Do you think you could something together and i walked away in the moment when someone asks you in an ep at network you go sure of course and you walk away thanks i'll be in touch and then i walked away i'm like how the hell am i going to create a video of me being uh, no one's ever done this job before there was a guy who did it but he was just like an intern who they put a ref shirt on and will like stand there like a statue Puppy touchdown. he wasn't involved in the program i'm like all right well let's make this Let's make this my own. So, so this y- was to be a ref on the Puppy Bowl or yeah. Okay. It was to be the ref of the Puppy Bowl and like again the Puppy Bowl. Yeah, but remember the Puppy Bowl in puppy, 9 years ago wasn't quite what it is now. You know, it was like it was an interesting gig, but it didn't pay that much. Uh-huh. It was small potatoes. It didn't have much public uh, exposure. Uh, it was just um, this.
0: N- now it's like the second most watched broadcast yeah. on Super Bowl Sunday. Or something yeah, like that, our right? ratings
1: go up every year. I'm proud to say we are after we are the number one non-sports program that weekend, and then on social, we're the second most tweeted or you know talked about in terms of engagement. Th- impressions is the word they love to use. Uh-huh. Uh, then after the Super Bowl, I mean that's it. So it's us and them. And we've spurned copycats. Like now there's a kitten bowl, now there's a fish bowl, now there's a hamster bowl. Like all these little networks or social media channels are trying to do their own bowl, which why not? Yeah. I mean, and my, my talking point, whenever somebody says, oh, how do you feel about the kitten bowl? I'm like, I make the copycat joke. But number two is I always say, anything that encourages animal adoption, and this is back to my thing about cause marketing, profit, you know, with a purpose. As long as we're all in that same world of trying to encourage positivity and awareness, I'm all for it. Don't look at it as a competition. Look at it right. as, you know, somebody that's only supporting what you're doing. So yeah, man, I, I did the tape and it involved going to my sister's house I don't in Oceanside. She had two dachshunds and I pretended to officiate a football game. I went to New York City dog parks. The video's out there on YouTube somewhere. I, was, I gotta check it out. Yeah, yeah. If not, I'll send it to you. Did you love dog? Like, did you always love dogs? I grew up with dogs, but I didn't, this is good, this is good intel. I didn't love them the way, or, or nor now can I tell you I am this avid dog lover. It didn't come from that place. It came from the place of the animal world is a fascinating world to me. It always has been. And I love I dogs growing up, but it wasn't this need to get in with dogs. If anything, it was a need to like corral dogs. It was a need to like, the, the way people kind of pitch me now and I, I, I like the role is like you as the enforcer, me as the sort of like, that's bad dog behavior. And to this day in New York City, if someone doesn't pick up their dog shit yeah. on the street, I'm like, dude, and I yeah. will, I will call out a stranger from across the street and be like, "Pick it up!" Yeah. Um, it makes me an interesting person in the neighborhood. But the point is, I have some like internal rules as to like, look, if you're gonna raise an animal, whether it's in the city or out of the city, you gotta, you gotta have some responsibility. It's not like, yeah. a, it's not just a toy. And I think I approached it from that angle of like, I'm not amused by you animals. So that was how that first video came out. It wasn't like, oh, you know, cuddling with animals. It was like, nope, nope. You go back two yards. You you stop sniffing. You stop eating. You stop napping. And I think that's what ultimately got me the yeah, job. They're exactly. like, this guy's not amused by it all. This guy's like trying to rise above it. Or, he's like a real ref. Yeah, he's, he's trying like to, he's a trying, real puppy ref. And if you watch NFL, like these guys, yeah. they don't give a shit if the if the players are are crying about something or screaming about something. They, they shut them out. And that's still how I do it. Um, and again, that's how it's worked. So that was the, the tone of the video. It was like a three minute video. Okay, that's exactly what not to do. I did a testimonial. My kids were like age two at that point. So I was like wrestling. Cause I said, I don't currently have a dog, but I'm very good at officiating small mammals. And it was me like wrestling with my naked kid on the floor. You know, that kind of wacky stuff they loved it and they gave me the job and every year it's been uh i think it's a two year or three year it's a three-year contract which they renew after three years and so after the first year they renewed it for three because the first year was a trial period then they renewed it for three then they renewed it for another three so at the end of this one i'm up for my next renewal i mean you know we'll see again nothing is guaranteed in this world they may decide to go in a different direction some publicist once told me like if uh Who was it? Some famous celebrity. Who's the guy from The Office? Uh, John uh, uh, Krasinski. Yeah, yeah, Krasinski who plays, uh, yeah, Uh, who plays What's-His-Name on The Office. Anyway, what's his name? Jim. Jim, thanks, bud. So, yeah, Jim on The Office. He had once, years ago, shown interest in being the ref, and the publicist was honest with me. She's like, listen. If John Krasinski says he won't, but if he says he wants to be the Puppy Bowl ref, your job might be in jeopardy. Otherwise you're fine. And I respect that, you know, it's going to be ultimately better for everybody else. This guy would never take that big of a pay cut, but, uh, I'm happy to, to live in this world, knowing that like nothing is guaranteed that I'm just going to do my best. And I also have the knowledge that like, if this did go away tomorrow, um, I've got enough other things going on and always have, thanks to my parents who have always put into me like, Hey have something back up you know have something else going on uh to not worry you know listen in my again in my industry and in my age I have friends who are losing jobs all the time losing contracts all the time they're with a network for three years and suddenly it goes away they're with a they got a great gig as the head of something for a year and a half and then that hosting job goes away a role on a tv show the show gets canceled this stuff happens all the time again the stuff we said, bad years, track record, as long as you go, all right, that was a little blip, bad blip, let's work through it and go on to the next, turn the page, you're okay. But if you wallow in that, I mean, substance done, abuse, man. all the all the cliches can happen and you can, you know, and I went through that too, 10 years ago or so when I lost a big account and I went through, uh, uh, I like to say I went through my midlife crisis 10 years ago, so early, and uh, I got all that crap out of my system and um, yeah, so it was, it, it, in a way, this world has been the best thing for me as a person. Forget as a parent, forget as an earner, but for me as a person, I know that if I'd stuck, because I originally went to school for political science and business, I know for a fact, if I'd probably stayed in politics, I'd probably be miserable right now, or at least telling myself I'm not miserable, but secretly miserable, especially the climate the way it is right now. So I, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty satisfied and lucky. To, uh, two,
0: two things It's funny when, when I, If someone were to ask me Like not knowing what you do yeah. Like you know Hey what do you think Like Dan Chagner's up to man Like you know I, I literally Like my first thought Would be like lawyer Or something mm-hmm. like that Like literally That was my first thought That's what's That's so what fascinating I I To do, me yeah. about like What you're doing Yeah
1: Poli-sci All that It was all I. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure It was going to be law school It was going to get an MBA I wasn't sure But it was definitely that track Yeah Which would have been fine But it would have pushed me Too hard on the earning side And less on the Creative side Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, And the other other question I have is, so Puppy Bowl, this is like the big event, right? Yes, So it's like Super Super Bowl Sunday. It's like the big shebang. What happens out between like Super Bowls? Right.
1: So the nice thing, uh, I was starting to say this before we rolled, is that this is becoming a full-time job. Again, nine years ago when this happened, it was like, all right, shoot the Puppy Bowl, promote it for a couple of months, and then it'll air and then goodbye. We'll see you next year. Now it is slowly expanding on both sides. So the pre-show or the pre-taping, whereas we start recording this thing in October. Touchdown! Great job, Dawson! Take it in, that's the crowd, they love you! But I start planning now as a producer um, in August. So my job with Animal Planet begins in August. We start shooting throughout the fall. I promote it, or we do... Don't forget, there's the pup nut. Again, sorry, commercial commercial break here. There's the puppy bowl pregame. There's the post game. There's the digital channels. There's the puppy bowl best of best 100 moments. Mm -hmm. There's all this sort of accompanying programming that that goes along with it. There's the dog bowl, which is the adult version of the puppy bowl. So all these programs. So that takes months and months to edit and promote. Here we are arriving. We're in January now. We're arriving in February. February ends. We do a postmortem. So February still got like, I'm still doing press talking about how well we rated. Hopefully knock on wood. March, it gets quiet, but Basically between, I got March, April, May. I got the spring. So baseball season for the kids. Coach Little yeah. League. Um, do my voiceovers. I, I work for HBO Canada as their voice. So like if you're in Canada, in Montreal watching HBO, you'll hear me as their promo voice. i French next on HBO. Uh, <laughs> yeah. in- no, French? no, no. It's funny. I asked that when I got the gig. And they're like, no, no, we, we got a French guy. Thanks, yeah. though. Uh, <laughs> so you're
0: the guys like uh, this season on HBO. Correct. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Tonight on HBO, uh, check out... Game of Thrones or, you know, whatever might Do you be. do that from home? I do it from home. I have a, a studio uh, that is like a fraction of this room at home, but it is a soundproof booth. Again, you, that's necessary in New York City. Th- to talk about the VO stuff real fast, um, VOs have allowed me, and commercials, have allowed me to, to take the puppy bowl job for nothing, right? Because if I was just depending on that job nine years ago, there's no way. W- I'm so practical trying to raise a family in Manhattan. There's no way. I can afford what I have. Um, I have to do VOs or I had to. Now, again, thankfully it's morphing where the animal planet job is bubbling, bubbling, bubbling and has so many sort of, it's flowering, whatever. Whatever I planted is growing that it's it's, it's taking over. So now the VOs I'll do to fill the time from March until the summer, but come July, I'm already thinking about next season. Mm Um, I also do this thing called Dog Trivia, which if anybody watches HQ Trivia, which is that thing on your phone where you can, yeah. So we're trying to do that with Dog Trivia, again, with the charity side to it, where like everything, you know, half the proceeds go to your local animal shelter. Pick a a shelter. Like the winners can not only win cash, but they can also, uh, half their winnings can go to the shelter of their choice. But we're doing that. We do it every week from a place called Boris and Horton, which is New York City's only dog-friendly cafe. And it's a pretty amazing place. It's like Disney World for dogs. And they are just dogs everywhere. They're all really well-behaved and there's a performance space and I lead dog trivia. Um, again, man, the authority. Like you're saying, you saw me as a lawyer. I'm able to take on a little bit of that role of you know, the authority or the enforcer or the whatever, the know-it-all, and, but still live in the world of dogs, which is an incredibly happy place. And so that's the other thing we're doing too. So it that all those things combined keep me busy in the off-season. And yeah, Little League is still something that... Yeah near and dear to my heart. And I guess I told my wife, the day I can't do Little League anymore, I guess it'll be the day I'm either so full with Animal Planet, and I guess that'll be a good thing, or um, I'll be dead.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hopefully you're so full with Animal Planet.
1: (laughs) Uh, how
0: old are your boys now? They're 12 and 9. Okay, so we're in. I'm 11, 9, and 7. Oh, yeah, so you're right in the thick of same, it. Same wheelhouse, man. Getting, yeah. getting
1: into the preteen years, it's, uh, yeah. it's... My daughter's
0: actually, she's 11, so she's preteening. Is she asking she's for tweening. social media or does she have it yet? She has, she has an Instagram page.
1: My so older it. son too, yeah, yeah. yeah, So that's been an interesting yeah. discussion with kids. Yeah. It's
0: tough, it's tough to like deny them that. It is tough. Know?
1: Well, for me, if it, that kind of stuff is an expression of... of If the child wants to express themselves that way and they're doing it in a safe Safe manner. I, yeah. I'm all for yeah, it. Yeah,
0: totally, man. Same. Yeah. Same. Um, are you Gary, do you listen to Gary Vaynerchuk? Are you familiar with him at all? No, no, tell me. Check him out. He's like this, like, sort of this digital media guru. Okay. Um, it's kind of a lot of what inspired like a lot of things that I'm doing. He's, oh. he's written a couple of great books. A book called Crushing It, if you want to check it out.
1: Crushing It. All right.
0: Um, but yeah, so his whole point is, like, you know, like, growing up, like, for us, it was always like, okay, you got to be a doctor, you got to be a lawyer, you got to do this, you got to do that, you know, go to school. And, you know, he's like the next generation for these kids. It's like, all right, I'm a gamer or yeah. i'm those like, are the new heroes I, I make slime you know like that's my youtube you know, star right i mean stuff like that and that's like that's the world now you know and it's like to deprive your kids of that it's like you're doing them a disservice you know and i know it's it's a tough thing to really swallow yes you know like but yeah you know I mean, the stuff that we do is like i mean like if you told your parents like if i told my mom like 30 years ago oh, yeah, i want to do a podcast like, what the hell is You know, like yeah. you know, it didn't even exist, yeah. you know? Yeah, so yeah, I'm 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 like, you know, I've gotten a lot more liberal, you know, but part partly because like I can afford to be a little bit more liberal with sure. my kids with that sort of thing. And, you know, oh,
1: yeah, for sure. But it is a, a good ego check when your son is like, dude, uh, Ninja, who's yeah, a big, you know, yeah, yeah. Fortnite star. He's like, re- you know, he dropped out, for out of high school, dad, and yeah. uh, now you know, he makes a hundred thousand dollars a month, probably more, but like. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: mean, oh. he had an article in the New York Times. It's like one of the yeah. featured you – know, Yeah. Sure Those are the that. heroes yeah. now to our, yeah. to
1: our preteens. It's, it's really interesting. So, And look, back to my job for a quick sec. My, when I first got the job, my kids were enthralled. Like it was the best thing ever. They'd come to set – now nine years later, they're like, yeah, it's cool, but you can tell the sheen has worn off of yeah. this oh, <laughs> job. Like, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Another big thing you do is like dog advocacy, I and mean, you always yeah. have like puppies in your house and you're yeah, in your listen, apartment. Yeah, and... listen.
1: Again, back to my point about like not l- liking dogs, not necessarily being a total dog lover. That's why I think I'm the right guy for this. Is like I'm not approaching it as a sycophant, right? I'm not approaching right. it as like glassy-eyed. It's all perfect. No, I'm coming at it very real. Our family. Is too busy. When you take on a dog, when you take yeah. on any any type of adoption situation, it's a huge commitment. And to raise that dog right, or person right, whatever you're doing, it's a commitment. Our, our with my travel schedule, because I again with with press and probably well, I travel once a week, two or three days every single week throughout the season. Right. Um, my wife, she's a full time teacher, and my kids obviously busy. Like there's no it's very very difficult no
0: one's following that crate training schedule the way they're exactly. supposed to I know, yeah.
1: exactly and i'm not I, saying I, i'm going through that right now you are <laughs> yeah. i'm not saying it's not possible it's right. very possible it involves a certain level of commitment so what we do is we foster dogs and i realized i again fell into this i didn't come out looking to foster but i was like man i'm in this dog space i really better and but my wife and i were just taking accounting of our lives and we're like we don't have time to get on the right we're on different schedules you know there's a nanny but i'm not going to count on her to <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't depend on the, the, the help to, uh, to, to, to train the dog. And, you know, I was like, "Mm -mm." so the thing that's going to, the thing that we thought was best for us is to connect with whatever local shelter, anybody, whatever shelters in your backyard, make friends with them and say, Hey, if you have any fosters, I'd love to help you out. That's it. It's that simple. It's a week. It's two weeks. It's th- Sometimes the harder ones that take longer to adopt can take six weeks. Yeah. But most of the time, it's one to two weeks. You get to know a dog. Your kids get to know a dog. Yeah. They know what you goes You have a into chihuahua it. now, right? Yeah, I like, got a little yeah. chihuahua now. I mean, it could be I any. Mean, of that a shih tzu in, over Christmas. It doesn't matter. The point is, they come into your house. You... Get them ready for adoption. So meaning what? Just acclimating them to being in a family, basically? Yeah. While you're not going to fully house train them, you you do try. You just get them into the routine. Most of these dogs, all of these dogs come from... Bad places. Bad places, yeah. no matter how you slice it. Even if they were born in the shelter, they've been living in a cage for three months. Even, or it, worst cases, if they're surrenders or abuse or whatever. But most of the time, they've just been living in a cage for three months. So this is their first opportunity to live you know, with carpet and snuggle on a couch, get a bath, get some good food, get into a routine. You're just teaching them to be dogs, right? Mm. That's what somebody wants, to, a very wise uh, rescue person. She's like, your job is to teach them how to be a dog like be part of our family be part of a the pack they're pack animals they yeah. want to so um it's been really rewarding because back to social for a second you connect with these people who come to the house that want to adopt the dog they come for like a visit you have to you have to make sure they're the right people yeah. right it's great your input is in, is important and then after they adopt them they always usually do you stay in contact with these dogs on social <laughs> and some i don't have to tell you some of these dogs have more followers than yeah. you and me put together and and you watch them grow, and you're like, "Holy shit, you see this dog grow in this virtual space, and it's really rewarding because you know you had a small little part yeah, in seeing that dog and listen, we all know dogs it, it, we live through our dogs or people tend to in this in this day and age they're not dogs aren't just about dogs, they're about people, they're about families. so to see the dog grow, you're seeing the family grow, you're seeing the family bond I mean it's right. really lovely stuff, and the biggest lesson for my kids is you can be we already volunteer like crazy, but you can volunteer in this this way too. Like this is another way to give back to your community. Right. Yeah, you can work at a soup kitchen, which, which we have. You can volunteer for your Little League, for your PS, all these different things. But this is a very direct way to make an impact and a lasting impact that you can see and monitor and watch throughout the years. So fostering, I am a big advocate for it. And I suggest that to anybody who's listening, who's like, I'm not sure if I should dip my toe in the water of adopting, I'm not ready. I hear yeah. you, you may not be ready. Try fostering. It's as good as, it's a, it's a test drive. It's a test drive for dogs. Um, so that's my little thing, and I'm hoping to have a foster bowl one day. Ah, that's Help awesome. Puppy bowl, dog bowl. Why not do a foster bowl next year? Yeah, man, next I year? love it.
0: One of your posts recently it looked like they brought like, a whole bunch of dogs like from Puerto Rico on like, a par- private plane or yeah. something like that.
1: Yeah, some of these, that's a group called the Sado Project. I'm one of their, I guess, spokespeople or ambassadors. I emcee a lot of their fundraisers. Sato Project is an amazing organization. They're all amazing. What is it? It's an acronym or? Sato Project. Yeah. So Sato is, um, no, it's a Spanish word. S-A-T-O is a Spanish word for street dog. And I speaking speaking Spanish growing up. I didn't even know that, what that word meant. But sato, S-A-T-O, just means street dog. Stray dog is what it really okay. means. Um, but it's a particular type of dog that's unfortunately in Puerto Rico, which is crazy because it's part of this country. Uh, they allow the abandoning of dogs. They just allow you to, like, if the dog's not working out, you can just uh, drop it off at the beach. No problem. Which, you think about that, it's insanity, right? But they do it. And it's a place called Dead Dog Beach. It is literally oh, named Dead Dog Beach down in Puerto Rico. Playa Lucia is the official name, but, or Lucinda, but the, the unofficial name is Dead Dog Beach. And you'll go to this beach, which I did in August, because for one of the segments I produced, I went down. And, and you'll see it in this year's Puppy Bowl. It's pretty amazing. Um, and you rescue these dogs. But it's like they're all, like you go to the beach and they're just living there. So you can pick one up and um, pretty heartbreaking. After Hurricane Maria, which we all know was pretty devastating to the island uh, a year and a half ago, there was an even bigger problem. In fact, initially I should say there was no dog problem because sadly the hurricane wiped out whatever dogs were remaining on the beach. Then the problem started to grow again. So this group is called the Sato Project. They're pretty well funded. They have some there's some deep pockets in terms of their donors um and they get the donors are able to donate private planes and they go down to Puerto Rico and these they bring these dogs up. And the reason to New York or the reason, New York, Miami and Parts of Jersey, but the reason why they work well in these areas—New York, Miami, Miami, of course, because of the warm temperature they're already used to—but urban centers, they're smaller, they're smaller dogs. Um, they acclimate really well. <clears throat> excuse me, to families, and uh, they're pretty damn cute. So the, this particular group has a lot of success with their foster programs, and I try to promote them as much as I can. But they're doing incredible work. I, I shouldn't just isolate them. All these groups, man—they're—they're they're all working so hard. There's the shelters that. What I've started to take started doing and asking for is don't just give me the dogs that are adorable because you think it's going to look cute on social. Give me the ugly dog that nobody right. wants with two teeth and one eye bulging out and you know has got some heartworm problems and give me that dog because that's the one that we really have to shed a light on. And I know that that's a big commitment, but again, fostering is a short period of time and if right. you can say, "All right, I've got the month of March free. I'm going to devote that to re- rehabbing this dog." It's a pretty pretty fulfilling moment. And you know, again, me and my family, like we're, I'm sure yours is too. We're all close. We all, we're, we're all loving families, but dogs have a way of like, especially experiences with dogs of bringing you together. So it's a win-win.
0: Yeah, man. It's definitely a special thing. We had, I bought a dog for my wife um, on Valentine's Day when we were dating because nice. her dog had passed away. Not knowing anything about dogs. Yeah, yeah. Probably <laughs> the worst thing to do because her dog had passed away like a few weeks prior to that. Yeah, how'd you take it? It was rough, you know, yeah. but he ended up being such a huge part of our family. He lived for 14 years wow. and, or 13 years. Um, and like, you know, he was born, he was there for each one of my kids. And like, there's all these pictures of him when they're babies or they're examining him. Like they're little, they're little doctor things on their babies. <laughs> and, That's you great. know, it's amazing. Like dogs really have this ability to really bring your family. And, you know, kind of, everyone loves the dog.
1: Yeah. You Where know? are you now? No dog.
0: We have dogs. So we have a Havanese, which we're.
1: Like, great training. You mentioned uh, that.
0: Well, memory. he's, yeah, he's like, <clears throat> he's three. Oh, okay. and we're still having problems. Still having problems. Yeah. Um, but it was the same sort of thing where you know I'm like a pretty OCD kind of guy, so I would set up this whole schedule, same. like play time, oh, yeah. uh, crate time. You know. Oh yeah. yeah. And I was like, all right, cool. You know, but if no one's really administering like the schedule, you know, it's tough. You know, and with with our Wesley, who was the dog that passed away, I was like all over it. You know, even though I was a resident, I was like literally all over it. And you know, he was housebroken, all that stuff, knew all these cool tricks and stuff. Oh, with nice. Miles. He's a very smart dog, but, you know, it's kind of our fault that, you know, we're, we're now we're really trying to aggressively housebreak him, like, yeah, you know, yeah. with a strict schedule and stuff like that, you know. This is but but it's part of the process, it man. It is
1: exactly what I was saying earlier. Like, sometimes you you take on a dog with the best of intentions, you can do it, but your family gets so wrapped up in their schedules. not anyone's fault, but yeah. they're just so wrapped up. And I know you're incredibly busy and you yeah. may not be able to. Yeah, I hear you, man. It is. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. So for any, again, anyone listening, just remember taking on a dog, it's it's yeah, work.
0: Totally. It's I mean, work. We're at the stage now. It's funny because all the stuff that I talk about on social media or my podcast, like, I literally sat down with my family and was like, all right, this is about accountability now. Yeah. And, like, we, this is our dog. Yeah. And we have a responsibility to this dog and to our family. So we're going to all be accountable. And, like, this is what we're going to do. And we all kind of put our heads together, put a strategy together. And, like, you know, really implementing it is the hard part. But if everyone's on the same page and
1: is right. into
0: the hustle of housebreaking our dog miles, then it'll happen, right? Yeah, so and
1: yeah. it's hard to get the kids to step up often, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. No, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but I think if the kids recognize that you're taking it seriously, they'll they'll at least uh, they'll at least try. That's it, man. And that's a hard
0: one. Well, Dan, I know you're a very busy man. You too. And uh, I, I really can't thank you enough for coming out here to Long Island. I mean, we and schle- Dan schlep out from the city to come no, out here. No, 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 no. I come and, out here uh, all the time. It's just a real honor to have you, man. It's so great to reconnect with you too, man. I mean, that's... Uh, 20 something years and I've said before you look exactly the same and same you're uh you know I didn't really know you well you know uh, back in high school but you're a really beautiful person man and thanks man I really man. appreciate having you here
1: right back at you please keep on doing the great work that you're doing it's an inspiration to the guys who are not in your world at all and that's what you, should, you need to know that. not in the medical world not even interested in the medical world still inspired by what you're doing
0: thanks Dan I appreciate that man yeah. alright brother thank you so much cheers Thank you for listening to the Dr. Mudgill Podcast. You can find the corresponding video to this podcast on YouTube, Facebook, and IGTV. Let's get it.